was the night before Raw when all through the house, not a fan was a caring, not even a mouse. The money in the bank briefcase was hung from the ladder with care, as the superstars hoped that a push would soon be there. With Vince McMahon nestled snug in his bed, visions of golden egg movie props danced in his head. Stephanie in her kerchief and Shane in his cap, fans tuned into Raw and took a long winter's nap. When over in Jacksonville there was such a clatter, so I changed the channel to see what was the matter. Bad booking out the window and young bucks flying like a flash as AEW had announced their New Year's smash. My eyes were now open for the new hit show as Raw's ratings were hitting an embarrassing low. When what to my wondering eyes did appear but an American dragon as I suddenly shed a tear. With billionaire Tony Khan steering the ship, I needed a new show that was young and hip. A mix of old and new concepts so lively and quick, it was a difficult choice but an easy pick. But then as the lazy sloth came out, I shut my open jaw, threw up in my mouth a little, and switched back to Raw. It wasn't all bad as they had Riddle and the man, but the 24-7 title made me question my loyalty as a fan. Friday was the best night with SmackDown and Rampage. It didn't make me want to rip my eyes out in a violent rage. I got to see CM Punk and the head of the table and remembered how much worse it could be as there once was a King Mabel. No matter what show you choose, whether Raw or Dynamite, Impact or Power, fans will be fans and you can all choose how to spend your two hours. It's all wrestling and it's usually always a gamble but here's hoping that you can at least sit back, relax, and enjoy the Royal Ramble. Oh wow, what a difference a year makes. For those of you who may be confused, that was actually the poem that I created for last year's Christmas-themed episode, and I was going to create a new one for this year, but I instead chose to recite last year's just to prove a point. There may be a few recurring themes here and there, but for the most part, I'd say things have changed for the better. Hello everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of the Royal Ramble. It is a very exciting episode, as this week I will be taking a look back at the year that was in 2022, even though the year isn't quite finished yet. So sit back, relax, maybe grab an adult beverage or two, and let's unwind and rewind. Wait, 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 before we do that, I must beg your forgiveness for the last couple of weeks. I was experiencing major internet connection issues, and as we all know, we can't really do much without the internet these days, so I've missed your company. But I am back, and I will put forth my best effort to make this show even better in 2023. For those who haven't yet seen them, I've been uploading a series of YouTube shorts lately, which I like to call BHT, Blaine's Hot Topics, available on my very own YouTube channel. Feel free to subscribe if you like. Now then, let's take a look back at 2022. It all actually started on the first of the year as the WWE presented a premium live event on New Year's Day. It was called Day One, and I believe it was the first time that term premium live event was used instead of pay-per-view, and I still cannot get used to that. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Nevertheless, that event was supposed to feature the first encounter of the year between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns at the time for only one title, which was the Universal title, as the WWE title was still exclusively part of Raw. As you may recall, Roman had to pull out of the match due to COVID, which fortunately he was able to make a speedy recovery from, but that news also threw a major wrench into whatever plan Vince McMahon had laid out, 
and thus led to a chain reaction of extremely shoddy and confusing booking, including Brock just being added to the match for the WWE title that night, which he ended up winning. Even more confusing was the next night on Raw when Lesnar again aligned himself with Paul Heyman, and Heyman then double-crossed Brock once again at the Royal Rumble later that month, as Roman Reigns ended up costing Brock the WWE title in a match versus Bobby Lashley, making Brock look like the dumbest of dumb babyfaces for trusting Paul Heyman again. And if that wasn't bad enough, Brock ended up winning the WWE title back in the Elimination Chamber a couple of weeks later, begging the question, why even have him lose the title in the first place? Confused yet? You will be. Because Brock also ended up winning the Royal Rumble match, and thus earning a Universal title match at WrestleMania. Why would he even need to do that when he so easily gets a title match anytime he wants anyway? That event, by the way, was also the first Elimination Chamber event to take place in Saudi Arabia, and I'm sure the roster was thrilled about that. And of course, you just cannot do a Saudi event without the man named William Goldberg, who also just shows up to work and gets an automatic title shot. Fortunately, though, that was the last time we got to see Goldberg in 2022, but we still have a week left, so I don't want to jinx it. Roman and Brock would again clash at WrestleMania in a huge unification bout, or so I thought. I mean, technically the winner got both title belts, which ended up being Roman Reigns, but then I'm so confused as to why there are still two of them, instead of just creating a new single belt. To me, that suggests that they may be splitting them up again, which kind of defeats the purpose of unifying them in the first place. And that wasn't even the last Roman and Brock match of the year. Even though Brock lost pretty convincingly at WrestleMania, he once again just shows up to work and just gets granted another title opportunity, this time at SummerSlam. No explanation required and no questions asked. He lost that one too, by the way. Just saying. Going back to the Royal Rumble, none of what I just described was even the most confusing. Apparently, the booking power of the men's Rumble match was handed over to Shane McMahon, who took it upon himself to ensure that he remains booked like Superman, while everyone else who shows up weekly was booked more like Clark Kent when he lost his powers. Even Bad Bunny, who made an appearance in the match, despite having no training at all, was booked significantly better than the entire active roster. But it wasn't a total loss, as some of these decisions led to Shane McMahon's eventual release from the company. I guess there went the money, and at that point, Matthew Smith's angry letters and emails started to pour in. For those of you wondering, I still didn't pick the Royal Rumble as my worst pay-per-view of the year, but it was pretty close. And Ronda Rousey also made her triumphant return at the Rumble. She won that match by dumping out the then-Smackdown women's champion Charlotte Flair, which also didn't make a lot of sense why the champion was in the match, but at least she didn't win, which, considering the other option, I don't think would have been the worst decision. They had a terrible match at WrestleMania, but kind of made up for it with a pretty decent rematch at Backlash, and we haven't seen Charlotte since. But we've seen a whole bunch of Rousey, and in my opinion, she's been a major disappointment week after week. WrestleMania season also saw a couple of injuries, including the big one to Big E, whose in-ring future still remains in question. We also saw Rick Boogs get injured during his match at WrestleMania, and he also hasn't been seen since. I wonder how they'll end up working these guys back into the storylines, assuming that they actually do come back. We also saw a huge debut at WrestleMania, quite possibly the biggest one in years in the WWE, with Cody Rhodes being the first man to jump ship from AEW to the WWE. It's usually the opposite. 
but he had a great trilogy of matches this year with Seth Rollins and won all of those, but unfortunately also got injured in training. To his credit though, he fought through the pain and the very visible injury and had a pretty good Hell in a Cell match with Rollins in June. Some would say Austin Theory had a pretty good year as well, but none of those people are here. I still think Theory has a lot of potential and he's still young, but honestly, he's been booked terribly this year. He was also a participant in the Elimination Chamber match and took that massive bump off the Chamber pod with Brock Lesnar's F5. From there, he was handily defeated by a non-wrestler in Pat McAfee at WrestleMania. The same Pat McAfee who got physically destroyed by an 80-year-old man who can barely move, which got my pick for worst match of the year. Theory later won the U.S. title. He had a decent run at first, but then lost the title to Bobby Lashley at the Money in the Bank PLE. But later that show, Theory was inserted into the Money in the Bank ladder match, again no explanation required, which he won. He would hold that briefcase for about six months, only to cash in on a mid-card title. Not just a mid-card title, but a mid-card title that he already held this year, proving that it wasn't difficult for him to win. But I guess it might have been on that night because he didn't win. What a joke that was. I do like that Theory has at least developed a more serious side lately, and I'm curious to see where he goes from here. Where we're going is back to WrestleMania because the hits just kept on coming. Stone Cold Steve Austin stepped out of retirement to face Kevin Owens in a pretty decent match, and rumors are already circulating that he could be gearing up for another one at next year's WrestleMania. And as Austin stepped out of retirement, his on-screen arch-rival, Mr. Vincent Kennedy McMahon himself, was forced into retirement back in July following accusations of sexual assault. The company keys were then handed over to Vince's daughter Stephanie and Nick Khan, while the creative book was handed to Paul Levesque, better known as Triple H, who was also forced to retire from in-ring competition this year. I had high hopes for Triple H taking over creative, and still do, but it's still a work in progress, and it's going to take some time for significant change to happen. The Undertaker also finally made the WWE Hall of Fame this year, and for the first time since his appearance on Broken Skull Sessions, he broke character, which was nice to see. So now I want to talk a bit about Impact and the year they've had, which was probably their best year ever. I'm not sure if it had to do with a change in creative or just the addition of new talent, but whatever they've been doing, they need to keep doing it. They did add a bunch of talent from other promotions, including former ROH talent and AEW and New Japan crossovers, but what I liked about it is that most of this talent just simply passed through Impact as if it were a territory and didn't remain in the company for any significant length of time. Guys like Jonah, the Briscoes, Bobby Fish, and Tomohiro Ishii, to name a few. Impact also had their big Multiverse of Matches show back in April, which combined storylines from theirs and other promotions. Josh Alexander had a fantastic year after finally winning the big one with a victory over Moose at Rebellion, and he's had the title ever since and has had some really strong matches. And for the first time since the Jarrett era, Impact finally seems to have its own identity and finally have a face of their company. Jordan Grace also won the Knockouts title in the first ever Queen of the Mountain match at Slammiversary this year, and also had a couple of killer matches with Masha Slamovich. Hands down, best women's match of the year, in my opinion, was at Bound for Glory. But it wasn't all good things. There were some lows as well, as I'm sure the ten of us who watch Impact will remember the terrible Honor No More angle, which seemed to drag on forever and never really went anywhere. 
On top of that, they had probably the worst talker in the company as the leader of the group, which did them no favors. I am just so sick of these anarchist factions, it's become so cliche, and I expected them to learn from the mistakes that WWE made with Retribution. The UFC is still kicking as well, and punching for that matter, and grappling perhaps. We saw some major title changes and upsets in 2022, including Alex Pereira knocking out Izzy Adesanya to win the middleweight title, Leon Edwards upsetting Kamaru Usman to claim the welterweight title, and Amanda Nunez reclaiming her position as the new baddest woman on the planet by winning the featherweight title back from Juliana Pena. Over in NXT, Shawn Michaels has taken over creative control in recent months, and we've already seen such changes as the merger of NXT North America and NXT UK, and the new set design and logo of the show. Roxanne Perez also had a great year. It's hard to believe that a year ago she was ROH Women's Champion. She makes her debut back in April on a network show, and a few months later debuts on the main roster, wins the first Iron Woman Survivor Challenge, and ends Mandy Rose's year-long title reign as Women's Champion. The future is bright for that one. And Braun Breaker may also have a bright future. He had some really strong matches this year, including recently with Apollo Crews, and also the triple threat against Ilya Dragunov and JD McDonough, and also unified the NXT and UK titles in a great match with Tyler Bate, and I'd expect him to be brought up to the main roster any day now. I'll end this show with a recap of the year that AEW had. There have certainly been some ups and quite a few downs as well, but through it all, the AEW faithful have remained loyal, and they seem to be going back to basics and embracing what they once were, despite all the backstage political nonsense. I'll get that stuff out of the way first. Following the All Out event where CM Punk unified the world titles, he made some remarks during the press conference that were not without controversy. This of course led to a huge brawl in the back where all parties involved were penalized, some even being fired. I won't dwell too much on that, but I really think that if you're not professional enough to put personal differences aside so that you can work together, then perhaps you shouldn't have a place in this company at all. To Phil Brooks's credit, at least he's ending it here and making his exit from the brand. But the company in general has had a pretty good year as well. Brian Danielson and Hangman Page got it all started with two classic matches at the start of the year, or at least one on January 5th. I think the other was actually at the end of last year. John Moxley as well made a huge decision to enter rehab and came back strong this year. In fact, he won a couple of world titles and formed the Blackpool Combat Club with a few of his friends, including two from the other company, Claudio Casagnoli and William Regal. Speaking of Claudio, it looks as though he will be leaving 2022 as the ROH World Champion, which was another huge deal. Tony Khan announced at the start of the year, or maybe even mid-year, that he had purchased Ring of Honor. Tony Khan also has been working very closely with New Japan, and along with that company, co-promoted the Forbidden Door event last June, which was another classic. Although, unfortunately, we never got to see the Brian Danielson vs. Zack Sabre Jr. match, but fingers crossed for 2023. We also saw the debut of the All-Atlantic title and, of course, the men's and women's Owen Hart tournaments. 2022 certainly had its share of ups and downs, highs and lows, but all in all, it was a very newsworthy year and hopefully 2023 follows suit. I will see you all again right before the new year with my crystal ball drop episode, but until then, it's ABC ya! Yeah.